Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Graham McMillan and I welcome you to February with a two-hour-plus episode talking about not one, not two, but three classic Marvel events written by Brian Michael Bendis, Age of Ultron, Civil War II, and House of M. Throw in a discussion of the Nick Spencer-written Secret Empire, a deep dive into both Kill Bill movies, and a discussion of the Superman Kryptonite No More storyline from the 70s, and we feel comfortable saying, wait, what is the fogiest of the old fogey comic podcasts? Bar none. That said, we also do discuss the first issue of Let Them Live, Tales from the DC Vault, the latest Avengers storyline, the Immortal Hulk and Shazadam controversies, five volumes of the romance manga Sweat and Soap, and much, much more. As always, we welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always... We hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Whew! Graham McMillan! <laughs> it's technical difficulties tonight, right? It really, I hope we got them all out of the way at once, because that shit was crazy. Crazy making. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I, 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 oh, I'm, no. ah, it, ah, uh, Graham you really are fine. You sound good. You sound good. Why don't you tell the listeners what you've been up to? Uh, I've been avoiding Jeff, who's been <laughs> for beats and photographs of myself napping. Uh, for people who don't know, uh, I am not with THR anymore. Uh, the, uh, as you're listening to this, I guess last week was my first week not there. Um, I finished the week before that. Um, it has been... Uh, I, I think it's safe to say that it was not an expected absence, mm-hmm. and so there, there's been some transition, mm-hmm. shall we, to mm-hmm. be euphemistic. But I, I've actually had a, I, I've had a nice week actually. Yay! Um, I, I've, had a, I've had a good one, uh, with the exception of of me Jeff. harassing you. Is that really <laughs> so terrible? Oh my god! I feel terrible now. <laughs> And for people who don't know, like people who didn't see it on Twitter for real, Jeff has been asking Chloe repeatedly to send photographs that are proof that I'm relaxing. Yes. Because I'm not online. Because I'm not online because I'm relaxing. I know, Graham, but you're not doing it right. No offense. No, I mean, I, but, you know. But I am. No. No, you okay. need to... You how, need to. How am I not doing it right? You are not like... Um, you know, treating the world as your own personal Instagram feed. Like, you're like, oh, here I am with when, the pooch. When, when did I ever do that? Well, because you were working. But now that you're not working, now you have to do that. It's the rules. No, no, I don't make no, the it's, rules. It's, no, it's oh. really not. And oh. I'm, I'm honestly enjoying not really being online. Uh, uh, no, I've, I, I have. I've had a really good week. I have, I've, I've watched some shit. <laughs> for real. And I have read... The oddest collection of comics this, this week. This is so good. This is so good. Please, elaborate. I have, in this past week, with my free time, reread, in this order, Age of Ultron, the 10-issue event comic from 2013, mm-hmm. followed by Civil War II. Mm. 
the I think seven issue event comic from like 2016, mm-hmm. followed by House of M. Mm, I think I see a trend here. Yeah. Okay. So I I don't I'm I honestly could not tell you why I started reading Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I I don't know. I don't know what possessed me. Uh, but I midway like maybe midway through the second issue, I was like, I wonder how this stands up as a story in its own. Like if you ignore the tie-ins, mm-hmm. if you ignore the, the idea of crossover event, how does this stand up as a comic? How does this stand up as a story? Uh, and then because it uh, arguably stands up better as a story than it does as a crossover event, I went, I wonder if that's true of other Bendis crossovers. Mm. I will read <laughs> Civil War Two, which does not. <laughs> Just, just gonna throw that out there. Civil War Two is a fucking mess, right? Um, and then I was like, ah, oh, you know what? I'm gonna reread House of M mm-hmm. uh, because you know, on one part I was going over Ben's crossover events, but on the other, like I'm also watching Wandavision, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'm gonna reread that, and that one again does stand up better. Uh, both Age of Ultron and House of M, I would argue, work much better when you forget that they're crossover events. Hmm. Both, and this is much more true of Age of Ultron than it is of House of M, uh, the pacing is fucked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they don't really necessarily do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there's there's definitely themes introduced, but I would argue that they're not explored, never mind resolved. Mm-hmm. Right? Again, especially Age of Ultron, which is... I mean, Age of Ultron's a 10-issue series. Mm-hmm. The first five issues of which are Ultron is taken over and it's terrible. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, we'll go back in time to stop it. Mm-hmm. So they go back in time and you have an issue of some of them have gone back in time where the others haven't. The others who haven't gone back in time all get killed. The ones who go back in time change history. And then you get three issues of the alternate present day because history has been changed. And it's also shit. Which leads to them going back in time again to stop themselves changing history in the first place. But also changing history in a different way. <laughs> and that's the last issue. I gotta say, that that really sounds like trash. That really sounds... It's... it's, it's uh, it, it is, but also it's much more enjoyable than I think I've made it sound. Um, no, 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 no. Because I think... Allow me to jump in. I think this is part of the problem for me precisely with Bendis's comics is if you gauge them on quote unquote enjoyability, then they then they almost hit more often than they miss. But I would argue that by any other standard, um, they they flop. And uh, we'll get to what I've been reading, but spoilers, uh, once DC Universe uh, Infinite updated stuff, I read a lot of Bendis Superman. And mm-hmm. um, and I found myself very much split between the idea of like, this is enjoyable reading on like a page by page, issue by issue basis. But he he's, I, he's just not even paying attention. Like the first three or four parts of house of kent uh you know that crossover story thingy that's is just it it 
the the character interactions are so really enjoyable and nice and again particularly with a sense of you know Bendis's sense of Superman but in terms of like the story in terms of just even paying attention to what he's doing from one issue to the next it's just it's barely there. So anyway, sorry, please return to your thing. But I was originally uh, like, wait, wait, I, I feel like you're almost cheating if you're if you're if you're um, rating this stuff by purely enjoyability terms, which is but, but it's, not it's fair. Like, right. Yeah. I, I feel like you kind of have to. Sure. Like, yeah. No, absolutely. Enjoyability terms. Right. Right. I think it's, I think it's unfair to, to not. Um, but. Yeah, Age of Ultron has has a momentum mm-hmm. going for it, uh, but it's it's a momentum that, like, when I was reading, I was like, "This is much better than I remember." It really is. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, then I was kind of like, "But wait, what? What actually happened? Mm-hmm. Like, what? 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 What?" got accomplished in this and it's like oh shit nothing and the pacing's really off mm-hmm. like why do you have five issues of a timeline that is by any you know evidence wiped out and you you knew that going on mm-hmm. um but it it's but at the time it was an enjoyable experience if that makes sense mm-hmm. you know and there's something to to seeing the alternate timeline even though the alternate timeline is again kind of pointless and bullshit mm-hmm. right Mm-hmm. And, and also, I should say, there's something about the structure of Age of Ultron that really reminded me of Avengers Endgame. Mm-hmm. Right? The yeah, no, when you describe it. You yeah, know? exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, huh. Um, but but it, it was it was enjoyable. Like, it was something that I I I didn't I did when I was reading go, oh, this is good. This is this is like it's not. Uh, I'm trying to think of a good way of saying this. Like, it, it's not life-changing comics, but also it's not classic comics by any stretch of the imagination. Right. But it's also good, shitty Marvel comics, if sure. that makes sense. No, 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 no. I see, I see like, your point. You know, because there yeah. is. Mm-hmm. There's like a Days of Future Past thing element about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of the pairing of Wolverine and Invisible Girl, even though there's nothing done with that. But like, there's something Marvel 2 and 1 about that. You know, there's all this, these strands of DNA that you're like, yeah, this feels quote-unquote Marvel, mm-hmm. right? But it's just and, – and again, it has this momentum which carries you through and then you finish and you're like, wait, no. Actually, this this kind of fell apart. Mm-hmm. But it left me with good enough feelings. That I was like, okay, I'm going to read Civil War Two now. Mm-hmm. You know? When I, when I don't think of these things as crossover events, sure. Like I'm, I'm, I'm amped up. I'm going to read Civil War Two. Maybe that was better than I remembered as well. Um and, and you know, Civil War Two just isn't. You know, Civil War Two is just a mess. Okay, Avengers, Avengers, uh, no, it's not even called Avengers Age of Ultron. Age of Ultron uh, is just is for better or worse, and and with as incomplete as a story as it is, mm-hmm. it is a story, right? Okay. okay, so you're saying that. So I just want to make sure here. So you're saying so it's not so much. That Civil War Two is less enjoyable. I know. I would say it is also less enjoyable. Okay, because I'm sort of thinking it seems a little weird to suddenly start being like, eh, you know. No, it is less enjoyable. Right. Okay. Which no, is it, fine. It, it, Which is fine. It actually, yeah. but also, Age of Ultron reads as a story in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's paced like shit. 
Mm-hmm. It's it's got logic gaps. Characters literally disappear. Mm-hmm. But with the exception of the epilogue in the last issue, it feels fairly coherent and and concise. Mm-hmm. Right? You're following these characters through the story, and you kind of get enough of that story. Mm-hmm. Civil War Two does not. Civil War Two feels like a story with parts missing, mm-hmm. and feels like a story that neither begins nor ends in Civil War Two. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like. And honestly, I mean, did you read Civil War Two? Um, I think. Well, first off, no. But I'm the thing that's weird about Civil War Two, as I recall, is they did that weird thing that Marvel loves, where I think they had like two prologue issues before yes, issue there's, one. There's, there's an issue zero and there's a free comic book day issue. Yeah. And... Which don't happen in the order they were released either, just to make it really difficult. Oh, like the issue zero takes place in the middle of issue one. Mm. Oh, right. And so I probably read issue zero. I just know that whatever issue where someone yells, Thanos, you're under arrest, was the issue where I stopped reading. Like That's issue zero. Yeah, okay, there we go. That's the very... Like, that was the second issue, because it was a free comic book day before that. Okay. Yeah. So I might have read the free comic book day issue before. I don't remember it all. But I do remember, because not only is Thanos under arrest, but they do the they do the fake him out with She-Hulk at the end of that issue as well. Which they do twice. Yeah. Wow. They do So they do that in issue zero, and then do that, I think it's issue two. What? What? Where she again apparently dies, and then later in the dialogue, they're like, "No, she's still around." <laughs> Do it twice. <laughs> That's so bad. That's not good. Anyway, but I mean, you know what? Whatever. I um okay. So Civil War Two feels like things are missing. Like the story isn't even up to well, the so, so, so Civil War Two is one of those story. things. Yeah, in Civil War Two kind of works if you pretend that words don't mean anything. Okay, for want of a better way of putting it, mm-hmm. Civil War Two's central conceit, the central argument is there's an inhuman called Ulysses who can see the future. Right, right, and his future predictions are entirely correct mm-hmm. until they're not, mm-hmm. and he predicts the future. By using a like organic algorithm, uh, that that you know predicts the most likely outcome based on the information that he has passively collected from the universe. Wow! Exactly, and also the more his power evolves the less likely to happen his predictions get, but they keep getting stronger enough that he's projecting them onto other people. What? Right? Huh? So there's also the understanding, well, the other people can see his his, his future. Oh, I see. As well. I see. Got it. Right? Got it. Right. Okay. But the end of the story essentially like MacGuffins Ulysses out. Because mm-hmm. the... the um, the what are they called? Not the Guardians of the Universe. The the like oh. the Collectors one. Yeah, Masters yeah, one, right, right, right. The Elders. Whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Elders of the Universe. Go, you're one of us. Great, you've got your power now. Come and join us. And he just fucks off. Mm-hmm. And so the end of the story, or the end of the series, I should say, is Captain Marvel and Iron Man are fighting, and then Captain Marvel punches Iron Man into a coma. That's it. Mm-hmm. 
you know? That's, that, yeah, that just doesn't sound great. And it's like, well, but what? Mm-hmm. And, people, you know, Iron Man's like, well, I don't want to believe in his predictions because I'm a futurist. And that means I believe in the future, not like this guy. <laughs> and kind of Marvel's like, well, he's always right, so I'm going to fight you. And you're like, what's happening here? Yeah, yeah. It just sounds, it sounds bad, Graham. I got to tell you, that sounds... It, well, that's just it. It is. It's like, it's all round bad, right? Uh, Age of Ultron, again, is coherent and, and does work as a story in the series in and of itself. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end, right? Mm-hmm. And there are, there is a, a, a circularity to it, mm-hmm. okay? That's, none of that is present in Civil War II. Mm-hmm. None, mm-hmm. none of it. It's, it's shocking, Uh that they're both written by the same writer like two years apart mm-hmm. because again age of ultron is not necessarily objectively good but it is i'm trying to think of a good way of saying this it's professional it does the job right it hits all the all the formalistic things you want and civil war 2 just does not mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it, it was like it was shocking it was actually shocking mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and so, and your feeling is House of M uh, is closer to space. Age of Ultron, right? Oh, by far. Yeah. I see. Because um, I remember being... arguably the best of them. House of M? Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. I got to tell you, you're not selling me on this stuff. Uh, my... Again, like that, that was kind of my point. Like, all of these comics are, are not good. No, 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 Just I know. You're right. Yeah. Right. Um... <laughs> But, like, House of M is, again, successful in the way that Age of Ultron is successful. Mm-hmm. There is a beginning and a middle and end of the story. Mm-hmm. It is less of a closed loop than Age of Ultron, mm-hmm. because House of M obviously finishes with no more mutants. But, for want of a better way of putting it, there are questions and ideas set up in issue one that are resolved or at least addressed mm-hmm. in in issue eight. You know? There is something to the idea that it's not just an alternate world. It's an alternate world where everyone is getting, in theory, their heart's desire, but that actually fucks them up. Right. You know, there's there are ideas in there, and there are ideas that are addressed if not fully explored. Again, that's entirely absent in Civil War II, and it's kind of absent in Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. Right? There's bits of it in Age of Ultron. There's definitely ideas in Age of Ultron. You know, not necessarily, again particularly well explored but there are ideas there aren't any ideas in civil war too but i think there there are ideas introduced and 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 actually considered in in house of m mm-hmm. but you know house of m also house of m i genuinely think like age of ultron works much better if you pretend there are no crossovers mm-hmm. you can just take the information that's in those series as it as the entirety Mm-hmm. Because honestly, the House of M alternate world is is a mess and doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like mutants are the dominant force, except where they're not. It's like okay, sure, but but how? And you know, you think about it too much, it's just like no, right? You know, how does Magneto do it? Yeah, no, no, just don't think about any of that. You know, there's it's House of M. I think is the most ambitious. Uh, perhaps because it was like the Benson's first one, mm-hmm. um, and and in a weird way, like House of M, Age of Ultron, Civil War Two, get l- less ambitious each time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Age of Ultron feels like the one where editorial said, okay, you're actually going to have to take this in a different direction. We've lost Brian Hitch halfway through. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, and and Civil War 2 is the one where you're like, well, that David Marquez, uh, Marquez rather, still sure draws cute. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the less said about the writing of that one, the better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, it, it was it was a weird thing. And then after doing those three, what is the obvious follow up? Uh, I, I like I, Dark Reigns, uh, uh, Secret Invasion, Secret Empire. Oh, what what the fuck? Secret Empire? Is that a thing? What's Secret Empire again? I should know this one. Nazi Thor. What's that? Nazi Captain America. Oh, oh, oh! Hydra Cap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, so you switched to Remender's. Uh... No, no, no Spencer. Spencer. Spencer, yeah. yeah. Right, right. Sorry. And, okay. Um, let me tell you, if you want to feel better about Civil War Two, <laughs> if you want to feel better, <laughs> guys, just reread the incredibly long <laughs> Secret Empire. Right. The incredibly long, incredibly all over the fucking shop. Secret Empire. The none of it makes any sense if you think about it for any more than two seconds. Secret Empire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's fucking mess. It's shocking. I I remember at the time I was just continually incensed about it. Mm-hmm. But part of me was like, I like, I'm older now. <laughs> I I'll calm down. And I wasn't incensed per se, but I was stunned that that made it out in the the shape that it made it out. And also, the people thought it was good. Mm-hmm. Because that sold really well. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how. <laughs> because that was a shockingly inept comic book series. Mm-hmm. Genuinely, stunningly inept. And wildly incoherent. Mm-hmm. It, it's... It's amazing. It's genuinely amazing wow. reading it. And it's so long. It's like 12 issues also. 12 issues? Ugh. There's 10 issues officially, but there's also, again, a free comic book day issue and a zero issue. Right, right. Yeah, you know, I, I that's another one where I, I don't think, did I finish reading it? I don't think I did. I started uh, reading that, it because it was one of those. Yeah. Well, of course. someone could literally say, you know what? They just decided to go in a different direction, and that makes as much plot sense as the plot. <laughs> you may or may not remember that Hydra Cap is Hydra Cap because um, the the girl who's made out of a cosmic cube right. basically rewrote history, so Captain America had always been Hydra. Right. Right. Yeah. So obviously, when you hear that. History has been rewritten, so Captain America has always been Hydra. The first place you go is, there is another reality somewhere, let's not think about where, where the original Captain America is still, and so are all his friends and enemies. But that's okay, because he's real, but they're not, probably, maybe. And then he'll get back, somehow. But he won't just get, like, he'll get back physically as well. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just like a spirit world. Right. He'll physically return as well. And then he'll fight Hydra Cap, who is actually not the real Captain America after all, even though he is. <laughs> Graham, 
this is this actually uh, brings up a question for me, I suppose, because you're talking about a whole bunch of Marvel events, of course, Bendis and then Spencer. Uh, there's kind of a how I feel that there is it's 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 impossible probably for anyone who wasn't in those rooms to say how much of this is oh that's the writer's idea and how much of it is this is what marketing told us we had to do and here's how we're going to put a lipstick on a pig you know and how much of it is you know this grew spontaneously out of the creative retreat as opposed to this is what we were told and then we had to hammer out a way to make it work is so, that's my feeling. Is that yours of, or no? Mm -hmm. Age of Ultron very much feels like it is one thing and then midway through they lose Hitch and they decide to go just wild mm -hmm. with the remaining half of the series. Mm -hmm. For I don't know why they lost Hitch, but it very much feels like they changed direction midway through the series. Mm -hmm. um, because, I mean, it's, you do, you get five issues of like, here's, here's the Marvel Universe. Ultron has, has destroyed everything. Everyone is in disarray. Mm -hmm. And then it, it, of the fifth issue, they're like, like, we're going back in time. <laughs> you know, and then Hitch is gone. Right. You know, entirely. It's not even like Hitch remains to do the future scenes. Boof. Right. Because he comes they, they back for like a six-page sequence or they something, right? He prints pages from another Avengers comic that he drew. Oh. And they re-dialogue them. No. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yes. And that's in the tenth issue, and they basically reprint pages from from uh, another Avengers comic he drew with new dialogue. Um, so it really like that one really does dramatically feel like they're like, oh shit, okay, what do we do? Mm -hmm. Right? House of M feels feels coherent. It does. It feels like it's a story. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't feel like well, we have to hit X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Even the no more mutants part feels relatively earned you know you can buy that as all the no more mutant stuff that came out of that whatever it's called the 198 mm -hmm. actually came from bender saying oh and here's the way she's going to end it like she's going to completely freak out and she's just going to try and like take away all mutant powers because that fits thematically with what what has been happening in the, the story right uh, Civil War 2 just feels like Marvel went to Bendis and said we need a crossover and it's got a feature of the Inhumans what have you got and his response was I don't really have anything but you know you guys have been good to me so I'll come up with something mm -hmm. I mean even down to the name mm -hmm. do you know what I mean like there's Civil War 2 feels entirely inorganic oh yeah it, it feels just as the name sounds ridiculous mm-hmm the comic feels ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's 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 not a thematic sequel to the original Civil War. Mm -hmm. It's not any sort of sequel to the original Civil War other than there are two superheroes who are fighting and then they get their friends to help them. But their fight in this one is entirely unclear. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, so that's, you know, that that feels like the most cynically put together i guess mm. you know um and then secret empire just feels like i don't know what secret empire feels like secret empire feels like nick spencer was like crazily ambitious 
and had no idea what to do once he got there. Mm-hmm. I mean, Secret Empire is, in theory, a story about Captain America's Hydra, Hydra takes over America. Mm-hmm. Right? But in there, there's also the return of the Hulk from the dead. He gets killed in Civil War Two, and Bruce Banner's alive again in Secret Empire, which is never explained how they bring him back. Just that he has been brought back. Well, which is, which is, I believe, of course, what Al Ewing ends up doing with the Immortal Hulk eventually. Yeah, but like, again, that comes after he's used again in Avengers No Surrender, which was like a year later. Yeah, yeah. If not more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, so, so it's possible that they were like, we'll leave that for Al Ewing. But it's also possible that Al Ewing basically tried to sort that mess out when he took on the series. Which is, yeah, I feel, I feel probably the latter, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's also an Ultron issue in there. Of Secret Empire? Pick, of Secret Empire. Mm-hmm. Where they try and pick up the Ultron has been merged with Hank Pym now. And is is insane. Mm, mm-hmm. Like that's that takes up an entire issue. Mm-hmm. An entire and, issue. Wow. Yeah. Like, why? Mm-hmm. You know, like it. It doesn't. It it genuinely doesn't make sense. And there's so much about it doesn't make sense. The Captain America resolution genuinely doesn't make sense. Right. Like it's basically hand waving, going. I know we said he was a real cap. We were lying, but don't worry. Cap's back from, you know, someplace. Mm-hmm. Which is is messy as shit. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a subplot in Secret Empire about New York City being trapped under like a bubble of darkness of the Dark Force. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it doesn't really go anywhere, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like at all. Um, so yeah, it's 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 the weirdest thing, and uh, you know, like I said, it might genuinely be that Nick Spencer was being really ambitious and couldn't pull it together. Mm-hmm. That that. That has the ring of truth, or at least that feels true from mm-hmm. reading it. Mm-hmm. You know, not that it's necessarily a, a, a sales thing, uh, but but that that's, but that he was like, no, 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 this is great. This is going to be like it feels very fear itself, mm-hmm. which very much was. There was some ambition and some need of like, oh, why don't we do this? Mm-hmm. This can probably. This can probably be a, a crossover, and then there's nothing actually there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's. I don't know. It was it was a, a an instructive week of reading bad comics, I guess. <laughs> but again, some of them were enjoyable. I don't want to say bad comics as if they're all terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, I or, or as if they're they're all they all have nothing to offer. I guess mm-hmm. because some of them were enjoyable, but. It it was. I I want to just go back to instructive again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so I mean, so you say instructive. So what what would be what what do you have a thing of like what are good tips for a a Marvel crossover? Uh, if you haven't process, if it's okay if you haven't processed okay. this. But. Part of part of it is I don't want to say too much because I actually want to read like the Jason Aaron stuff. Uh huh. Right. Like I want to read other people's things. Definitely in terms of Bendis, you can tell when he doesn't have a story. Mm-hmm. And Bendis needs and Bendis needs 
a story, not just an idea. Bendis needs a story. Mm-hmm. He needs to have the idea that he is saying something. Mm-hmm. And honestly, something, even if it's uh, sort of half-assed to say. Mm-hmm. Like I said, you know, House of M felt like it, it had ideas and felt like he was doing something. And Age of Ultron, to an extent, did. Mm-hmm. Age of Ultron, again, far less successful in what he's doing. But there was something there, mm-hmm. you know? Um and then Civil War, like you can tell, he's he, he's got fucking nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, he's it really does feel like he's doing it as a favor to somebody for. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it's what do you need? You need, uh, you need a story. Mm-hmm. You need a reason for the other heroes for more than one mythology to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, you need a reason, like whether or not it is. There is a conflict that grows so big that everyone else can't avoid it, mm-hmm. which is both Age of Ultron and, and House of M. Mm-hmm. You know, but at the same time, that's also Civil uh, Secret Empire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Secret Empire just feels messy and and again, like it doesn't know what it's doing with any of the characters. Mm-hmm. You get a lot of characters who just go into hiding because they're sad. <laughs> Uh, and you, and the, the other hand of that, the other side of that you get Black Widow teaming up with the champions for some reason, hmm. because she's going to she's going to kill she's going to train them to be spies and killers, hmm. but they don't want spies and killers. And it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess. Right. You know, like it's 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 weird. Again, that things like that feel like oh, you are just you know. Marketing asked you, could you fit in these characters? And you're mm-hmm. like, okay. Mm-hmm. But you could nothing to say about them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you need a story. You need to actually know what you're doing with your central characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would help if you had an ending. Mm-hmm. Because even Age of Ultron's they go back and change time again ending is better than Captain America is just fine again because he's fine again. And okay, let's pretend this never happened. Or uh, Civil War Two's, there's lots of punching, and the guy they're all fighting about has got fucked off to join the Elders Universe. Mm-hmm. You know, you can you can tell when there's no ending mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because things sort of just seem to spiral out of control, and you can tell midway through the series, like there's there's you know they don't seem to be going anywhere with this, mm-hmm. or they're going everywhere with this. They don't seem to have a direction. And then, sure enough, you get to the end, and they didn't. They had no idea what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But I think that's true. I don't think that's just a Marvel thing. Mm-hmm. You know, also death metal. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, we've talked about death metal before. I'm, I, and I'm like, uh, I don't know about that. But, I but mean, like death metal again has a has a crazily hand wavy ending. I, what, well, I mean. It literally has a Deus Ex Machina ending. Well, sure, it it does, but I mean, at least the the Deus Ex Machina is kind of, you know, it it's the this is this is the threat of the threat of the threat. I guess you know what I mean. Like, there's a little bit of death metal starts out where it's like, uh, what's her name, you know, and 
the Batman who is Batman what, is what's her name Wonder Woman? No, no. What's her name oh, Perpetua. is yeah Perpetua. So there's Perpetua. There's the Batman who laughs. There's what they're each sort of trying to do with the hand with in regards to the hand, and then the hand shows up. You know, one could say that you know Wonder Woman's beating the Batman who whatever's the Batman who Batman's um, is her choosing to do, you know, she, she, she wins that fight. And then the idea being that she chooses to win the fight, knowing that she, it's going to cost her the war. I don't know. For me, I'm just like, eh, I, that's not quite You're at like, the same level of, yeah, of Ulysses. I, I, off. I, 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 yeah, I, I find the, and then the beings that Perpetua was scared of that were going to destroy the universe decide not to destroy the universe, but instead restart it to be completely out of nowhere on the same level as Ulysses fucks off, mm-hmm. you know, or Captain America comes back and he's fine mm-hmm. because it is very much. Uh, OK, so the status quo is back apart from when it's different because we say it's different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and yet none of it's errant. Right. Again, I think No More Mutants is more earned than that, and therefore it becomes a more satisfying story. Uh, I would, I would. It's hard for me to actually co-sign on that, but because I feel at the time I didn't feel that way. But I should really reread it before I'll take your word for it. I don't want to take your word for it, but <laughs> if only to keep us from arguing all night and me coming across like an idiot, I I will concede the point. So I'll take your word uh, for that. So, so yeah, so those 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 are that's what I've been reading this week, Jeff. Wow, I apparently myself. <laughs> well, so uh, and and talk a little bit about some of your viewing choices too, because that's oh man. Uh, <laughs> so two things inform this, and I'll say them both first. So okay. one, Chloe's like, why don't we just try and watch two hundred movies this year? Wow, and we were like, okay. Sure, that's a lot of movies. Yeah, but let let's see if we can do that. Right, uh, and related to this is uh, the eight year old has taken to uh, wanting to watch movies when we eat dinner. Right, and oh. so we'll start movies when we eat dinner, and we'll finish it at some point the next day. Oh. And he's eight. Right, right. So. There are certain types of movies that you're going to watch. So, for example, we saw Rampage. Which, which? Oh, right, the Dwayne Johnson based on the video Johnson, game. Video, yeah, yeah, yeah. Game. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and he loved it. <laughs> also, he is a fan of the Jurassic Park movies. So we watched Jurassic World and Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom this week. Uh huh. Because I am nuts. I watched Dune. What? Just Dune. Wow. It's on HBO Max. Right. Um, and then today, because again, getting back to I hate myself, I watched Blood's uh, Shot. The, oh, the Vin, Vin Diesel adaptation of, of the Valiant Comics thing. And Jeff, let me tell you, <laughs> Bloodshot, which anyone who has a Star subscription, it's on Stars right now. I think it's Stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's on some service that you you can subscribe to right now. Um, Bloodshot is not good. 
But it's not even not good in the way that, like... Uh, oh, because another thing we watched this week, The Meg. The oh, Meg is yeah. not good, but right. The Meg is great. Yeah, right, right. Right, The Meg completely commits to, okay, it's Jaws, but Super Jaws. Yeah. And Jason Statham's in it. Yeah. And that's all you need to know about the film, because that's all the film is. Mm-hmm. And it's so good at being that film. Yes, yeah. It does everything you expect from that plot description, or not plot description, but that description. Mm-hmm. It's Super Jaws with Jason Statham. Mm-hmm. And someone says that to you, and you're like, oh, I know what this is going to be. And it is. And it's great. Actually, I would sort of say it's family-friendly Super Jaws with Jason Statham. Because I feel oh, sure. like that's... Yeah. Oh, no, no, very much, very much. It's, yeah. it's, it is, it's not, it's something that, again, you can watch with a kid. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yes. And yes. that's super... Again, because it decided to do that and figured out how to do that, it is, um, it's very successful in that in that regard and because of that regard, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 and I think it's like I genuinely enjoyed it. Again, it's shit. Right, right. But yeah. I genuinely enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I enjoyed the Justice, uh, the Justice, the Jurassic Park films, the Jurassic World films, I should say. Mm, mm-hmm. Um. Much more than a I remembered for Jurassic World, and I'd never seen Fallen Kingdom, hmm. uh, and I I enjoyed both of them much more than I expected to. Hmm. Bloodshot, however, right? Bloodshot is just still not bad. getting away. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bloodshot is just bad. It it's it's again. Someone says Vin Diesel, but he is a nanite, uh, you know, failed super soldier who kills people. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I, okay, I kind of know what this film's going to be. And it's not even good at being that. Mm-hmm. It's just bad. So it's, it's, is sorry. it, it's, no, 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 no. I just, I, I took, because I'm curious, is it that it is bad because it tries to be something else as well? Like, is it more like, oh, Vin Diesel wants to act and this is his chance to be, you know, show his serious chops as Nanite Sad Boy? Or no, is it... No, no, not at all. Okay. Vin Diesel is not acting. Uh-huh. Vin Diesel acts more in Guardians of the Galaxy than he acts in this film. <laughs> like, this is this is not his acting showcase by any stretch of the imagination. It does want to be more, but again, it wants to be more in following through in the, the comic reboot of Bloodshot, which I don't know if you read or not. Uh, I... The the twist is Mm -hmm. he's a soldier who dies and is brought back to life with these nanites and he goes out for revenge for the person who killed him. Right. 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 The twist is his memories are false. Right. He's basically getting reprogrammed continually to have new memories so that every mission is personal. Right. Which is, I I liked the, I liked, I liked the trailer. It's a good twist. I like the twist and the twist is explained in the trailer. I was down with. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good twist. But the problem is it doesn't do anything with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Get halfway through the film and you've had the twist. And you're like, okay, so there, there's going to be another twist, right? Right. Because the rest of the film isn't just he's going to realize this and then go out for revenge against the people who have done it. But, Jeff, that's the rest of the film. Right. Of course. Of course. That's it. Yeah. And the rest of the film's like an hour long. Yeah, yeah. And, and they, you know, they try to have some level of superhero film, big bad battle mm-hmm. 
so like there are three other soldiers who are who are augmented as well but none of them have even the same type of augmentation so vince's is practically uh immortal mm-hmm. okay because any, any physical damage that they are uh, nanonites nanites even can fix mm-hmm. right nanotechnology can fix them there is it's never explained until it's too late you can overload the nanites mm-hmm. it's in there like you can do so much that the nanites will stop working mm-hmm. but they never actually outright say that Ooh. until you're in the final battle right and they're like his nanites are running out and you're like yeah you should have made that clear before that that can happen because <laughs> right now it just kind of looks like you're like how do we make this seem like it's actually going to be a fight right okay his nanites are running out mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. this time it's uh, personal yeah. yeah exactly uh but but so there's there's he's got his nanites and then there's a a guy who lost his feet in a, an IED explosion, and so he's got, like, you know, robot feet. <laughs> and then there's another guy who was blinded, and so they've given him, like, robotic cameras that connect to his brain, but for some inexplicable reason, they're on his shoulders. <laughs> also, my favorite part of that is there is a scene where that guy is trying to you know, square off against another character. And he does that by not moving his body towards the guy he's talking to, but by turning his head and frowning at him. Oh. And I was like, he can't see him. (laughs) (laughs) His his cameras are actually facing the other way. (laughs) Um, And then there's, uh, there's the love interest who, so, okay. So the, 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 the guy with the cameras and the guy with the, the robot feet are literally having the, the, the physical parts they've lost fixed, right? Just uh-huh. replaced. Uh-huh. And then there's a love interest who, are, I can't remember if it was a gas or, or, or she drowned, but she, she couldn't breathe basically. Mm-hmm. And so they've replaced her with, they've replaced it with like an air vent on the center of her chest. Wow. Which also allows her to swim underwater. You think that again would have a, would be foreshadowing. It's not. <laughs> They don't do anything with that at all. I gotta tell you, I want to see this movie. If it wasn't for the fact that it's going to be done in a boring way, it sounds oh, that's just bonkers. So much of this film is oh, you could do something with this, and then it's done in the most pedestrian manner possible. That's a shame. When you watch a film for two hours and your main takeaway is what has happened to Guy Pierce's career (laughs) that he has to play the head of this film, right? Then that's a bad film. Mm It's a good question. Bad film, good question. What happened to Guy Pierce's career, man? You know, did he just not want to do Hollywood movies and then he ran out of money and then he started doing all kinds of Hollywood movies and they're like, okay, but only if you play the bad guy. And he's like, okay, yeah, I'll play the alien bad guy and I'll play the uh, bloodshot bad guy. And okay, that's A's and B's. I'll play that cannonball run bad guy. And okay, now I'm on to the D's. Like I what like why why I don't understand yeah, I I I don't know it's it's I mean literally it's the thing is I didn't quite believe it was Guy Pierce immediately if that makes sense sure and so I'm watching it and he looks familiar he kind of looks like Guy Pierce but there's nobody that's Guy Pierce he was in Iron Man three too which kind of screws up the yep. alphabetical order but uh, yeah yeah man Guy Guy Pierce that dude that dude was good that's, I don't know what he was thinking 
I, of course, I still haven't seen like he did all those awesome Australian indie films that everyone talked spoke well of that I still haven't seen. Like, yeah, that's just it. Maybe he's using maybe he uses Bloodshot to pay for for their other films. Right, exactly. exactly. You know, which which you know, good on him if he does. But Bloodshot is Bloodshot's a mess. Mm. Bloodshot's really really not good. Mm-hmm. But don't worry, it wasn't all bad. I also watched Doctor Strange Love for the first time in fucking years. Mm. I've never seen it. I have to admit, you've never seen Doctor Strange Love? No, no. That's genuinely shocking. To yeah, me. I, you know, it's this weird thing where I am super underfed. On Kubrick, I've barely seen any Kubrick, and I don't. I keep wanting to sit down and and watch it, but yeah, that there's just like there's like six classic Kubrick films or five that I just I still haven't seen. So, you know, you should just Strange Love. It's great. I so I've heard. Is it also on HBO Max? Is that where you saw it? Or no? Uh, no, it's on. Actually, I think we actually paid money to rent that one. Oh, really? Huh. Interesting. Do you have Canopy or no? No. Oh. Do they have Should that I? up there in Portland? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's a, it's a, um, it's a artsy it's library thing, movies. Right? Yeah, through the library, and that seems like it, you get something like, depending on where you live. I think in, in San Mateo and San Francisco, it's like twenty rentals a month or something like that. I almost never use it. Me being me, but. If you if you don't want to pay for your A twenty four horror movies, or you like some classic stuff, there's there's some classic stuff on there. Probably I don't know. Yeah, if no, I, I, on I, there, but. I if if we're going to do two hundred movies, I should I should make the point of, of looking at. <laughs> That's right. It'll save you from Tubi. It'll save you from having. Oh, the... we've we've already tried Tubi. Don't you worry. <laughs> but uh, it's fun. It's funny because like we're now we're now in the space where. You know, Bloodshot is acceptable, and so also on the, on the to do list is like Battleship. Oh yeah, well, because I uh, the, I know that I chimed in with Battleship uh, on Twitter uh, when Chloe was talking about some of these movies. Um, yes, Battleship's on there. Um, underwater, the Kristen Stewart uh, seeming remake of Alien, but oh, it's underwater. Right, yeah, it's yeah. on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, we like so we, we've we've sort of lined things up. The new Studio Ghibli's on there, even though I think it's going to break both of our hearts. Mm-hmm. It it, it is tough. The right? trailer, right? Uh, no, no. Honestly, just the poster alone is. I'm like, this doesn't. This looks. Yeah. So for people for people who a know Studio Ghibli, but b haven't seen the trailer or seen the poster, it's CGI and it's terrible CGI. Yeah, yeah. It's. it's I mean, it's really. It's Pixar twenty years ago level CGI, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and that's really upsetting to be honest. Because Studio Ghibli stuff was amazing, yeah. And the idea that like, okay, so we're going to kind of keep our character design, but we're also going to do CGI, but everything's going to have the same texture and nothing's going to move well. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a it's a bummer. It's a bummer. Um, that being said, uh, you've seen that amazing HBO Max promotional material where they did the, uh, it's like 30 minutes of nature scenes from Studio Ghibli, Ghibli movies, no? like all sewn together. So it's like a relaxation video, practically. Oh, that's, that's lovely. It's fantastic. I'll, I'll throw it as our little YouTube clip on the show notes because someone, someone on Twitter uh, was like, oh, it's amazing how soothing this is, and it's just it's just the best because of course there's so many um, shots of nature 
in those movies and so sewn together it's just great i mean there's just so much great footage of the the water train well, and spirited before, away before mm-hmm. before the eight-year-old got into uh, you know us showing him terrible trashy action films right i also on, on the, a rewatch of hobbs and shaw is on his to do ah see see uh, because that is, that is a film that's perfect for an eight-year-old i want to say like you guys have got the problem is some of the dubbing is truly horrible but he is the perfect age for some of the, some of jackie chan's classic movies like that are just you think that but we've shown him clips and he's not that interested man yeah i think he needs the whole context i mean i kind of get it oh we watched we watched both kill bills as well okay i should say that's not not the hero thank you thank you. i was kind of relieved um, yeah, we watched both Kill Bills again, which I again I haven't seen since they were, it was in the theater. And what did you think? I'm a guy who has seen the first Kill Bill like three or four or five times, and Kill Bill Part Two exactly once. And whenever I start watching it, I'm always like, I'm gonna tap out. So um, it's uh, I, I, one is probably better than two. They kind of work as one long film which they're supposed to be yeah so which they're supposed to be yeah but it's a really long film right it's like four and a half hours mm-hmm. uh it's it's simultaneously amazingly indulgent and yet the best parts are how indulgent it, it right. is right right yeah you know like you have to the bits i enjoyed the most were the bits where he was literally just being like haha i'm really successful so fuck all of you i'm going to have a 20 minute anime origin sequence for lucy Liu's character right right you know which there's it's such a messy film it's Mm -hmm. such an inconsistent film intentionally inconsistent Mm -hmm. but but the inconsistencies are the best part aside from the soundtrack Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know because because there's so much that is not good about those that film or those films Mm -hmm. but there's also a lot that is good so so tell me yeah. what is not good about those films because i have to say i'm not really aware of you as a tarantino watcher generally or at all I mean, so. what's what's not good is i mean again pacing is just out the window right because it is so indulgent mm-hmm. it it is it's just a mess it plays games that it doesn't need to play and also don't pay off mm-hmm. like bleeping out her name all the way through to the second half of the second film. Right. And then revealing her name, but revealing it in a way that has no impact. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that inherently goes, well, you all really want to know her name, and you don't really. Mm-hmm. You know? And so then when a character says it, in a relatively offhand way, mm-hmm. you're like, okay, sure, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it's shockingly for for a tarantino film i mean uh shockingly fetishistic in its treatment of asian culture mm-hmm. uh you know I, I, it's just a lot of it is tarantino wearing his his influences not only on his sleeve but his entire fucking jacket mm-hmm. but it is weird and off-putting the way it's kind of like don't you get it they're japanese that means they're inherently badass and killers you know and you're like 
dude, fuck, really? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's cartoonishly unbelievable when it wants to be, and yet not when it I mean, when when it doesn't, it isn't. If that makes sense, it's 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 basically it's just incredibly inconsistent. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know objectifying to entire cultures. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly inconsistent. It is uh, really. And it's in, it, inconsistency is the main thing. I was going to say it's inconsistent in its pacing and its format and its 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 realism. I mean, realism isn't the right word for it, but you know, she gets shot in the chest and buried alive, and then by the time she digs herself out of being buried alive, she's also apparently completely healed from being shot in the chest, mm-hmm. which is kind of nuts. Also, how did she survive being shot in the head? Oh yeah, when she gets shot in the head and then is put in a coma, which is which is the inciting incident, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Like, wouldn't they have made sure she was dead? Like, it, you know, but it's one of those films that again, you shouldn't think about. Right, right. Do you know what I mean? Because 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 Tarantino is making a tone poem of a film. Mm-hmm. Kill Bill is is his love letter to open brackets whatever sort of film he wanted to make a love letter to that day. Close brackets. <laughs> And and it works best as that. Mm-hmm. If you don't expect anything other than uh, like, uh, ooh, I get that reference. Oh, that looks great. Oh, it's the five, six, seven, eights. Then then you're sort of doomed to failure. Mm-hmm. But if you can watch it on a, ooh, I get that reference. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like if you watch it that level, you're like, okay, this is fine. Yeah. I feel I feel the, like well, the problem with volume two is it wears out as welcome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it really it does it doesn't need to be almost five hours long, mm-hmm. and all the good bits, for want of a better way of putting it, are in the first half. Mm-hmm. There's nothing really that matches up in the second half. Mm-hmm. And by the second half, so, you mean part two as opposed to part? I one? mean part. I mean volume two. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I, I was it, like, mm-hmm. really, I mean, it really does kind of peak. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in the the fight with the crazy eighty eight, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and then Lucy Liu, like that kind of is the peak of the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, the other another thing that on, I only noticed this time around, mm-hmm. it really upsets me that only men beat her. Because hmm. hmm. it's not just Bill, mm-hmm. right? It's Madsen's also Michael character. Michael Madsen's character, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that's fucking weird. Mm-hmm. Because she can, she can take care of every woman easily, well, I mean, easily, quote unquote, but right. but handily. Mm-hmm. But Michael Madsen's character beats her, and he is shown to be a dumb shit, and yet he outwits her. Mm-hmm. Is really fucking weird. Is he shown to be a dumb shit though, or I mean, so so actually, so before okay, we get yeah, too far into it, uh, no, 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 no. But I mean, it's interesting. But but I just for. This podcast episode's thematic purposes. I wanted to drag this back and be like, okay, so in that sense, contrasting if you th- if you think of Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill Volume One and Volume Two as um, a Brian Bendis event, essentially Marvel event. Um, what's like you said? There's the parts that make it enjoyable, and there's the parts that don't. Right, even though it's sort of the same thing, but it's not, right? Yes, yeah. and like you said, the the first part, like 
part of it is the second part of the film is anticlimactic. Like you said, there's sort of a weird, like, yeah, the guys have the upper hand, which totally, I guess, yeah, is a little, uh, is, is a little troubling. And then some, I mean, there's a whole thing in the first half of the movie, which is, there's, I, there's just, I don't even know where to start, but, um, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that one of the more troubling aspects to me in Kill Bill Part One is is that David Carradine's character, who is, you know, is a distant badass presence that everyone's kind of in awe of, is um, how do I put it? The shorthand that they use for him is a lot of material a lot of visual iconography that you associate with like say the pimps and black exploitation movies like there's a weird pimp to prostitute uh correlative between oh which so have you seen did you actually drop out of volume two before the end uh no i make it all the way to the end but it is well so do you remember do you remember bill's friend that tells her where bill is yeah the 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 guy the who's yeah, oh is he a pimp the mexican yes yes uh, okay okay i thought he was a drug dealer and of course he, but the, he's a pimp who actually says to umar thurman if i was still working you'd be my best girl ah uh, okay okay thank you yeah, that yeah, there's a weird there's a weird thing there that is um yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff that's there. It'd be interesting. Did you did you see Death Proof or not? Cuz I think that I did. Um cuz I think that Death Proof is a weird uh companion piece to the Kill Bill movies actually in a in a weird way. Um I would like to say that if you want to give Tarantino the benefit of the doubt, which you would not have if you just see the Kill Bill movies, but like Death Proof suggests that Tarantino knows enough about cinema to know the tradition that he's working in as a director, which is to say somebody who is inherently impotent in his relationships with women and therefore can only have any kind of essential interaction with them via torturing them. Um, And I feel like that is... Like, one of the things that's weird, uh, interesting about Kill Bill is on top of it being all the various sorts of movies that he loves, Tarantino's a pretty sharp dude about cinema and and loves movies that are actually about things. So I think that there's something kind of interesting about Tarantino in that Kill Bill uh, kind of seems like... Um, uh, it, which is common with Tarantino, I think, kind of the trying to trying to have his cake and eat it too, which is which is to say, um, simultaneously basking in the male scent of testosterone 
and at the same time being aware of it as a kind of dead end and yet not at the same time yeah i mean that's just it, it it's there are there is there's interesting stuff in kill bill in terms of uh gender politics right you know but it's also nowhere near subtle right yeah, well, you know what true. i mean like yeah. yeah there's there's the character that that is is basically acting as a literal pimp mm-hmm. when she's in a coma mm-hmm. and then she kills him and takes off with his pussy wagon truck, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, for all of the quote-unquote feminist leanings of that scene, again, you get to the part where Michael Madsen's character is the only character who actually beats her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, that is problematic, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? It's, yeah. Especially the structure of the series as a whole. Because, I, you're right, I think I was being too... too uh, blunt in saying that he's an idiot Mm -hmm. but he's definitely not as capable as you know daryl hannah's character yes or lucy lou's character no absolutely she defeats really easily Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know and the way in which uh michael madison's character defeats her but then treats her after that Mm -hmm. is incredibly misogynistic Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and she pointedly doesn't get revenge on him Mm mm-hmm he then gets killed by Daryl Hannah's character. Mm-hmm. So he, for all intents and purposes, gets away with it, mm-hmm. which is fucking fascinating, but also weird mm-hmm. in the overall structure of this, of this series, of, mm-hmm. the, of this, the films. You know, it's, it's, it's complicated and kind of ugly. Right. Right. You know? Um, so... Much like yeah. Tarantino's penis, which was exactly my point earlier before we had to, before we had to stop. Lord. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I, Lord. I I have to say I do have a yeah, and then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is sort of where Tarantino tries to right the wrong and literally save the blonde and protect her from harm by changing history, etc. But, of course, the character that does that is the guy who killed his wife, right? So, um, you have seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? Yes, yes, I have. Oh, okay. So, yeah. And I hope every all our listeners have as well. <laughs> Big old spoilers there! Because <laughs> I, I was thinking about Stuntman Mike, who is the, um, you know, the, the antagonist of Death Proof slash... Um, potential Quentin Tarantino more than likely surrogate and then seeing uh, seeing Kurt Russell playing a stunt guy again the head of the stunt team in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and very pointedly not being a stuntman Mike is to me kind of a Huh, yeah, okay, so, hmm. Anyway, uh, I could I could fall down that rabbit hole all night, which, again, to bring things back to what I yeah, so want to talk about. Yeah. Well, hold on, let me, I, what I want to talk about, of course, is picking on Brian Bendis some more. What do, what do you think? Does Brian Bendis have, quote-unquote, thematic concerns? Are there things that, you know, sort of in the way that I'm like, yeah. Across his entire career? Yeah, I mean, or across these events, or I mean, you've read a lot of Bendis. What would you say? Does that guy have a a thematic concern apart from selling books? Like, 
I think he has passing thematic concerns. Mm-hmm. I think he has transient ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think... I mean, maybe he does have ones that, that go across the entire group. Somewhere Chad Nevitt's probably screaming at this podcast right now. <laughs> um, but but I, I, if, if your argument is he doesn't, he is... His work is, is solely concerned in, in selling comics. I don't think that's necessarily true either. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think he... I think he's a writer who has things to say. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes those things to say are, in fact, often those things to say are only halfway thought out, mm-hmm. uh, are incoherent and often abandoned. Mm-hmm. But I think that I don't think his his work is entirely vapid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think if I were to say, and I have to say, this is something where I have not read uh, uh, probably enough Bendis to actually say so, but. I would say, based on having to read a shit ton of powers and the way that that ends up bleeding into uh, elements that I can see through his other work, is I think that you could say that Bendis has a uh, his his two cons- his two concerns are celebrity and for lack of a better term, history, celebrity history, like things are always being recontextualized in Bendis's work where people sit down sometimes in the course of, you know, that, that talking head oral documentary format of having people. Yeah. Which he loves a lot where people talk about things and, and, he shows either conflicting views of it or there's a suggestion that what we saw isn't really what happened. And that's that's kind of a big thing that comes out of, of Powers is Powers is built strongly along the idea of superheroes are celebrities in his in that world. And so Bendis actually plays a lot with the sort of the nature of the tell-all biographies. Like, he's building a lot of stuff around the idea that, like, oh, we think these guys are great pop stars, but here's, you know, their darker history or dark story. And I think that, again, the recontextualizing of history and events follows through in Bendis's work, where he either has people do things and then says that they were done for different reasons, or he literally changes the tone and tenor of something that happened before in the lives of the characters before he was writing the title. And I think there's also a, the, 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 the reason why I would say that Bendis still feels entertaining and timely is that the way that because be, he has superheroes talk like celebrities, which is to say they are always aware of their brand at all times. And the reason why I feel his work still tends to work on a day to day basis is everyone has become more obsessed and talks about themselves like celebrities and maintaining their own brands. Uh, not everyone, but you know, 
a huge everyone online, let's say. So that's a huge chunk of people talking about themselves with a lot of self-consciousness and and self-awareness and or people pointing out something that they always do. And it's like, I do that? Question mark, question mark. I do that? Mm-hmm. You know, kind of thing. I don't necessarily think that there's a lot of depth to it, but I do think well, that I... that might be part of what keeps Bendis's stuff feeling pertinent, I guess, for lack of a better term. I, I feel like I'm arguing against my point in a way, but I'm not sure. Well, no, because I, I was, was going to say is I feel like you're describing uh, interests in format or interests in style. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that's the same as having a thematic depth. Does True. that make sense? No, I agree. Because yeah, those I, are I, things. For example, yeah. I, feel mm-hmm. that, um, I feel that Fraction mm-hmm. has certain like long-running uh stylistic or aesthetic concerns mm-hmm. but doesn't necessarily have uh thematic concerns beyond that that are long running mm-hmm. you know or uh i'm trying to think of another creator i'm really tempted to say brew baker but i feel like seven million people might jump on me but i feel that they they you can you know their work because they basically keep doing the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. But there's not much to it beyond the aesthetics. Do you think that's the case? <laughs> Let's put it this way. Would you say that that is... Because I feel like, um, like there's a pre and post for Fraction's father issues. And then at a certain point... Oh, I'm curious. What's, where, what is this the... Uh, cut off point for them in that case. Well, like, where, where do you see the line? Well, I just feel like maybe they're not as much a. Um, well, I would say that, for example, Hawkeye and Sex Criminals, based on my absolutely one hundred percent incomplete uh, reading of both, which is to say, maybe no more than a handful of issues uh, at best. But I would say that those comics have the concern of, uh, well, have other concerns, I suppose. And those concerns have a little bit to do with a how much can a self-absorbed individual contribute to other people, I suppose. Whereas the pre-stuff like i don't know where it stops but i sort of feel like there's a point where jimmy olsen doesn't have dad stuff and sex criminals doesn't have dad stuff and i'm assuming hawkeye doesn't have dad stuff in a way that makes me think like there is a post dad stuff career and the the dad stuff was a thematic concern because i feel like it was stuff that was in every piece that you picked up by fraction up to some point after I stopped reading Fraction. See, I'm really tempted to say that's only in his really early stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that, like, honestly, once you get beyond, like, the initial release of Casanova, I think that's gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't think the you know? later volumes of Casanova are about that? They're about different things? I No, I think Casanova... I, I mean, part of this is that I think Casanova sadly disappeared completely of its own asshole. But, um, mm-hmm. but I think Casanova became 
an autobiography and sort of uh, an autobiography about other things. I remember very clearly, and I'm going to say the latest volume of Casanova, but there might be more. The I remember there was a point where Casanova felt like it was fraction writing about working for Marvel, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that was that was like what it was about, mm-hmm. uh, not not dad stuff per se. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so so yeah, I I think I I maybe I'm being. Uh, the opposite of generous, ingenerous, ungenerous? No, I think uh, that you're being more generous. I mean, you're making sort of, well, I guess, except you're like stripping them of thematic concerns, I suppose. That's what I mean. Like yeah. maybe I'm, maybe I'm missing something and in the process being like, no, there's nothing to his work. Mm-hmm. I really thought I was like, but let's get back to Brubaker. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I do think know, that but, there's but a lot of For one of a better way of putting stuff. it, I yeah. think that, I think that Bendis tries to put more into his work mm-hmm. uh, and is arguably less successful mm-hmm. because I think, I think that Bendis does get distracted or forgets things or just moves on mm-hmm. like a lot. But I think there, I think there are things in his work. I think that Bendis continually comes back to the idea of misuse of power. And also, who decides what the correct use of power is, hmm. is something that, that does pop up a lot in Benz's work, mm-hmm. in different formats, in different shapes. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it is a running theme. Mm-hmm. The idea that those with power should be policed, but who polices the people with power? Mm-hmm. You know, is 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 a coherent, recurring theme. Mm-hmm. You know, everything all the way up to... Honestly, also we have to fucking Superman and action comics, and and that's not to say again that he's making a statement because you know the Invisible Mafia stuff in Superman. Have you got to the end of his Superman run yet? No, I'm only on DC. I'm not spoiling anything, Mm -hmm. but the Invisible Mafia stuff comes to naught. Well, it becomes obvious, yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, but there is, but. The, the idea of the invisible mafia is very much about power, the shape of power, who holds power, and the oversight of power. Hmm. Right? Again, that all of that goes fucking out of the window. Hmm. But that that's the heart of the idea. That's the heart of Event Leviathan. Mm-hmm. You know, that's at the heart of honestly the the United Planets stuff. The the what was his name? Rogal. Whatever. Rogal Zor. Rogal Zor. Zor. Like, yeah. it's, that, it's the idea there as well, right? Mm-hmm. So, so he, you know, that's from powers all the way up through that. That's from his, some of his crime stuff all the way up through that. Mm-hmm. Like, it, he keeps coming out. It's in Scarlet. It's in a lot of his indie stuff. It's in, to an extent, it's in his Avengers stuff. It's in his X-Men. Mm-hmm. You know, he does keep coming back to it. But the problem is, he doesn't he doesn't not only doesn't make a statement it's almost as if he can't make a statement right he, he can't close the loop mm-hmm. he is for whatever reason you know maybe it's not that he can't maybe he just isn't interested in closing the loop but it reads as if he just that's not something that is interesting to him despite right uh, the the closing of the loop isn't about yeah they're actually like coming up with an operating theory mm-hmm. he will ask questions but he'll never really try and answer those questions Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, he'll 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 have characters make speeches which make it sound like he's like, okay, but what about this? But he never really does anything beyond that. But what about this? <laughs> you know, and because he does get distracted, because he does. I mean, one of the problems with his Avengers, and you and I were saying this as it was going on, is that like the Avengers just nothing got resolved. Everything led into another story. Mm-hmm. Nothing finished. Mm-hmm. So the, even the end of his Avengers run is a setup for Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and his Age of Ultron ends with a setup for his Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Like it just keeps going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. But I think he has something there. I do think he has something there. It can be frustrating because he doesn't do anything with it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's there. Mm-hmm. You're like, mm. well, well. I so I think I think the the I think the problem is um, like I'm like ah, yeah. I I mean if you say so because because I think there's an element of like. If that's a th- if that's a thing that you don't if it just keeps coming up without necessarily being explored, you know, like how maybe it's just a gimme, like it's just like half yeah, of that just like, sounds does, like does that count as a recurring theme? Well, sure, sure. I mean, I, I it counts as a recurring theme. It just also sounds like it. The extent to which it's a thematic concern, like that's that's why I'm like, ugh, we're getting into that realm where it just I'm getting where I no, risk I mean, I, coming again, off is so ungenerous. Maybe, maybe you're right. No, maybe no, no, you're no, right. no, maybe, but I I don't know. You know, part of me is kind of like, uh, it, believe it or not, at the beginning of this call when you're like, yeah, this was good, that was not good, this is, and I'm like, well, why? But what? And what makes it good? And and there's a way in which part of me is like, even when I was like, bah, you know, is, is, is I'm like, okay, Bob Haney comics. I love Bob Haney comics. I've read a lot of comics here the, the last week, which are few weeks where I will get a chance to talk to, but, you know, about, but are mostly, are mostly trash. And, and so it's funny that part that I, Part of me is putting on the uh, interrogator, you know, hat without really knowing the answers and trying to trying to question my own biases. Like Bob Haney's great. Bob Haney, does he have thematic concerns? Does it matter? It really kind of doesn't. Like, you know, when you said that that Bendis's stuff is entertaining, like I'm like, yeah, there's. What what's wrong with something being entertaining on a page yeah, yeah. in and page out basis? What, yes. What the, what's wrong with just enjoying it? I and that is that's a really that is a good question. And I think maybe I'm falling into a little bit of Gary Groth syndrome of of me being like, yeah, but the problem is is that Bendis is not treating himself like Bob Haney. He's not treating his books. Like, like the brave okay, and the what, bold. What does that mean? Well, exactly, and in the sense of like, yeah, what what am I talking about? You know, part part of me is like, I I think that I think that Bendis spends a lot of time running around and talking about 
comics being important. And I think the flip side of it is, is he's talking as if his comics are important. But his, his comics are not important. They're like just big old pieces of disposable trash, which is fine if they're entertaining enough. But that's not the way that he... Bendis is way more successful in the comics field than Bob Haney ever was. And I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a way in which Bendis is the most successful writer from the big two. Uh, I mean, to me, as far as incredible diminishing returns, but, but in terms of how long he's been working and how long his stuff has been selling and how how much his stuff is treated as um, important by the companies, at least in terms of like, hey, Bendis is on this book. This book is a big event because Bendis is doing it. It's a it's a Marvel Bendis event, and yet and yet the stuff is not important. And maybe that that's fine. Like like I spend I spent thirty minutes this week. Um, watching a uh, part of Into the Spider Verse, which has like Bendis's stuff has good good bones. Uh, sometimes I mean it's two thirds of a partially assembled skeleton, but that two thirds can be really strong because you see what the Spider Verse guys can do with it, and there's some really great stuff. Whereas if you mm-hmm. look at Bendis's Miles Morales stuff, it's sloppy and messy and problematic even when it's telling some of the same stories or story points i guess um and so so i just have there's a little there's a little bit for me of bendis is he's to me he's not chris claremont he's not stan lee which is to say that he's not jack kirby being you know written by Stanley, mm-hmm. but there's, and so part of me is like, yeah, but who cares about that guy other than the fact that we all say that we care about him? And part of me feels like that's kind of the swindle of if he was writing comics back in the 80s, he would be like three steps above Michael Fleischer in the sense of like, he would be a guy that other people would be like, oh my God, you've got to read this guy. It's amazing. He's got a sense of dialogue that won't quit. And his stories are complete pieces of wet toilet paper. But, you know, like I don't, I I guess I just find myself being more willing to look at what's, what's good, bad, and what's bad, bad, and what's bad, good, you know? And I kind Mm -hmm. of feel that part of the problem for me is I can't help but suspect that Bendis treats himself and his work and his college professorship and all of this stuff as if he is, is, is that he is being able to take shelter in slash hide behind the idea that comics are good and important. Um, and therefore is able to crank out a bunch of semi-okay crap, I guess, that somehow will now live on in perpetuity as stuff that is held up as great or good and isn't, I guess. So, 
I don't know. You know, like this is this is the sort of stuff. That, uh, but yeah, part mm-hmm. of me is part of me is like I think we will. I think fans twenty years from now will make that dis- decision. Sure, exactly. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, com- the, the history of comics is littered with people who were hot at the moment, right? And, and no one thinks twice about now. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see. That's it. That's it. Like twenty years ago, he was just starting to write Ultimate Spider-Man. So right. Yeah. So right? who knows? Yeah. I mean, and it's been it's been a long and storied career, and the guy has turned out a lot of product. I think. But yeah, whether that means anything, like 20 years from now, he could be, <laughs> I was going to say the next Bill Mantlo, but I feel like Bill Mantlo's the guy where people are like, yeah, he's an unsung hero. Bill Mantlo's awesome. Yeah, Bill, Bill Mantlo, I think, is, is one of those people who's, who's, people are heading into a period of, oh, boy, I never realized. Right, right. Like exactly. I've, seen a, I've seen a couple of, of, wow, he did a lot more in the Hulk than I thought, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so for me, um, uh, we can either continue. I can continue to, to, to ride this pony into the ground. I, I want to know what else you've been reading. OK, so when DC Universe Infinite launched, uh, there was a bunch of stuff that, of course, got updated. So I ended up reading a lot of action, like four issues of action comics and I want to say I read more issues of Superman, but maybe I was keeping mostly up to date with that or, or maybe that the Superman stuff had pit, hit the truth era where I was already, I think that's it. I think I'd already read the trades off of Hoopla. Uh, I read the first three issues of Strange Adventures, which is to say I reread issue one and then read issues two and three. Um, I've read five volumes of Sweat and Soap after a bunch of people on Twitter recommended it as a great romance comic. And it is. It's a great romance comic. I was very happy to find it. Um, It's got a very pervy premise. And the first couple of covers seem incredibly off-putting. But what's great is... It's not really the book that it seems to be. Like Sweat and Soap is about two characters who work at a perfume company. One is the incredibly successful uh, designer of the scents who has a super heightened sense of smell. And the other is someone who works in the accounting department who's a huge fan of the products in part because she is... a She's a heavy sweater who sweats a lot and whose nickname in school was El Stinko and so is incredibly self-conscious about her scent and the fact that she's so sweaty. And he smells her and is obsessed with her scent. So, uh, (laughs) yeah. So it's just, I, I mean, I was, this was the kind of book when it came out where I was like, no, not for me, thank you. So the fact that a lot of people were like, you've got to ignore the premise. It's just an incredibly sweet, great romance. Um, It's true. It's an incredibly sweet, great romance because they are two opposites that have to uh, communicate openly in part because he can always smell 
what she really feels, I guess. Um, and so it's almost like a one-sided telepathy thing, but, yeah. you know, but it, but it also works. It also uh, allows that, I think, to kind of bypass a lot of the very typical traditional Japanese romance manga norms. Um, and even the few times where it kind of jumps into that um it quickly jumps back out uh in part because what really helps is that the characters are so specific not just that she is a um you know she's sort of she's even by japanese manga standards she is a very meek reserved person and yet that sort of makes her coming out of the shell more interesting um because there's a lot of pretty good detail about it, I guess. And mm -hmm. the fact that he seems like everyone thinks that he is like the super catch Mr. Casanova guy. And he is in fact, one of those kind of cluelessly oblivious, like embarrass inherently embarrassing for the Japanese because he's too emotionally candid type people it just makes it just makes for an incredibly sweet romance. So, I mean, I couldn't I tried to pace myself and I read 5 volumes of that in 2 days. Uh and then oh gosh, um a lot of reading of of older stuff, namely I picked up the Superman Kryptonite Nevermore trade paperback out of um uh Hoopla and mm -hmm. um, I decided to, I don't remember, I think I might have bought it in a sale, which is in that classic, like, really dumb because I had it in various individual issues but was never reading them. Uh, Power Man and Iron Fist, the Epic Collection, Volume 1. And so... Oh, wow, that's that's what, 50 through... Yeah, it starts at 48 because, of course, 50 is... Of course, it's, they... the th it's the three-part, exactly. like, Power Man issue, yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's 48 through probably 60-something or other. I'm only up to about 58 because I've been alternating between that, Su Superman, Kryptonite, uh, Nevermore, um, a, a, a little dash of Rogue Trooper, and then some of the modern comics that I have subscriptions to, like <laughs> Savage Avengers, Werewolf by Night, Issue four, um, the uh, th the Avengers storyline that makes me completely embarrassed for ever defending Avengers to you and the rest of the podcast listening audience. So, um, and wait, wait, so oh, wait, what is happening in Avengers right now? Avengers right is now is the Phoenix story, right? Yeah, now? is the Phoenix story, and this is the third part. And arguably, I think it's the third part and the the first part that has gotten interesting, I guess. The rest of it is very, um, it's, it's kind of like Jason Aaron is, is, um, he put a lot of himself apparently into Avengers versus X-Men and he's like, God damn it. Like no one's talking about this series and it was great. So, you know, I, I think part of it is he's got, there's a, there's a, 
twist at the end of the current issue of Avengers where I was like, oh, that might be interesting if it goes somewhere, maybe, or maybe it's terrible. I can't tell, but at least it's interesting. Is this the, the Thor twist? Yes, the Thor twist. The Thor f- family twist. Um, so I, it seems you, you know of it and have heard of it. And was it all over the internet while I wasn't it looking? Was, it, was, it was enough over the internet that I, who is not re- who am not reading Avengers, knows what it is. Okay. And, uh, but the first couple of issues of it were just terrible. I mean, it was just really bad. It was like, oh, Phoenix has decided it's got to have a new host. And so it's taken all these heroes and it's rounded them up and trapped them. And now they have to fight each other with the power of the Phoenix. And who's going to be the next Phoenix? They all want to be Phoenix, but they're all smart enough to realize that Phoenix is terrible. And therefore, they should avoid the power of the Phoenix. But still, what happens if they punch one another? Like, it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of like... If you did Contest of Champions, but without any of the charm or enjoyment or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if you did Disappointing Contest of Champions. Yes, exactly. Which, believe me, as a guy who loved the original Contest of Champions, like, I'm like, I'm aware that, that that's almost the description of Contest of Champions. So the fact that you can somehow limbo under that low bar is impressive. But yeah, it's just... It's just bad. It's and it's it was a shame because it really what it really is kind of uh, the the problem with it is right up until the arc it was kind uh, kind of like oh yeah Aaron's spinning a lot of plates but um, yeah okay they're wobbling on the sticks but they're kind of and leading into the like at part three of this Phoenix thing I'm like okay most of what Graham said about jason aaron's avengers appears to be right and i most of what i said appears to be most well don't forget wrong. this is also leading into uh, avengers colon black stars yes right uh, right heroes reborn yeah is that coming out of the jason aaron event specifically yes. oh, it's okay. literally replacing the avengers book oh it is uh, yes yo its reality is going to be broken at the end of this Phoenix storyline, uh-huh. and then Avengers is going to be replaced by Heroes Reborn. Right, right, right. See, I didn't realize one led into the other. I just figured Heroes Reborn was just being jammed uh, uncomfortably up everyone's rectum, like some sort of half. No, it, it is. It is. It is literally what Morrison was doing mm-hmm. with Green Turn with Black Stars. Right. Except it is Avengers. Wow. Well, I can't wait to read it. Weirdly enough, Savage Avengers, which was a King in Black episode, and I was like, oh, that's that's a big warning flag. It's pretty good. I mean, you wouldn't like it, but it's Deadpool and Conan, and that combo really works for me. I don't know. I've got to, I've got to tell you, I'm apparently... In the pit for Conan in the Marvel Universe, at least as Jerry Dugan writes it. So, um, you know, for those for those of you who want a slightly better but equally trashy Avengers hit off the Avengers crack pipe, I guess I guess Savage Avengers is the way to go. And then there's uh, Immortal Hulk, the latest issue of Immortal Hulk, which is you know, kind of caused a bit of a flurry. What with Joe Bennett basically supposedly doing an accidental anti-Semitism 
I, is, was it accidental? He's insisting that it was. It doesn't sure, really but, seem like it, but I mean, based on some all, of his all other I'm things. Is, yeah. There, there are, okay. But even without those other things, and the other things really kind of ram at home for me, misspelling jewelry as jewelry mm-hmm. is one thing. Mm-hmm. Doing that over a Star of David mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. seems like a, a hell of a coincidence. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I really, a genuinely shocking coincidence. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I yeah. mean, again, part of me is like, I, I do get it. I don't. I mean, that's the thing. When I say, apparently it was an accident, he says it, and, I mean, like you said, it's a hell of a coincidence. It seems unlikely, but it's also very troubling and weird, and really weird, and also... It's very, it's, it's very strange, because the more I think about it, the more I'm just like... Marvel, what the fuck were you doing with editorial? There are three credited editors on that. <laughs> Never mind the fact that like the inker has to have seen it and the colorist has to have seen it. Right. Nobody thought when, if nothing else, you've misspelled jewelry. Right. Nobody caught that. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it clearly is. So that really kind of cast a bit of a um, pallor over what was a really pretty fun, strong issue, I thought. so. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then Superman Kryptonite Nevermore is interesting because, you know, it's Denny O'Neill's run on the character, more or less. He might do a few more issues on top of it. Yeah. But, of course, Denny O'Neill not really comfortable with Superman uh, and the storyline is I've I, it the conclusion of Kryptonite never Kryptonite no more where it's Superman versus Sand Superman was like one of the first Superman comics I read as a kid and totally just fucked me up so the amount of heavy sensory flashbacks that I was having while reading the end of the trade was amazing but it it was kind of interesting. Like I was like, oh, Denny O'Neill, 1970. Like like all the shit talking that I've been doing about Brian Bendis this whole episode. I'm like, he definitely has a better grasp on who Superman is than Denny O'Neill did. That's for sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. But but part of me is also kind of fascinated with his like, uh, his Superman fits really well into the Superman is a dick, uh, memes, uh, which is funny. Um, and it's also really interesting that he kind of does a lot of, like, I realized like, oh, there's a lot of Superman stuff I have always liked and wanted to see more of. Because he's got the depowered Superman. And it's clear that O'Neill is sort of kind of like Steve Englehart, like, did his research and went back and read some of the old stuff. And and so there's stuff that's just old bits old superman bits like him thinking and not paying attention while people try to clobber him with like um you know weapons and are hurting themselves while he's distracted or his whole like the him eating the kryptonite which is such a is is a classic set of panels but is clearly kind of a revisit of the it tickles 
Superman. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so some of those bits, there's a whole sequence where it's Superman trying to figure out how to stop an offshore oil rig guy from drilling off seas even though he has the legal right to because every time he does he is aggravating this volcano that is going to explode and kill all these people on the island and so every time superman basically tries to stop them they you know basically do a it's it's basically the superman issue of hookjaw which is kind of which now that i think of it hold on Sorry, I just had that moment of like, man, Hookjaw would be like one of the best 70s Superman. Like, you remember that Jaws of the Shark uh, uh, action comics cover where it's basically yeah, Jaws? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, we need, he needed a reoccurring like giant shark, preferably one with like a kryptonite hook through its <laughs> mouth. To like fuck with him, quick, you know, pitch right in Superman right now, dude. I'm, I tell you, like, part of me is like, let's just do seven. I want to do seventy Superman so badly, where it's like Zardoz and Popeye and Jaws, basically fighting Superman, and maybe he ends up on the planet of the apes at one point. You know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to think, what there must have been some other seventies characters that Superman, you know, the seventies pastiches. Nothing as great as Zardoz, of course, but you know what does, I mean. Does is does Steve Lombard come around before the seventy Superman? No, no, no. He's part of the seventy Superman thing. I mean, he's post Denny O'Neill, I think, even. So it's already after Clark Kent's working for WGBTBS or whatever. He's the sports guy. You're so close. <laughs> I am. Is it WGBS? WGBS. Ah, WGBS. Okay, yeah. I was Because it's the Galaxy Broadcasting System, remember? Oh, of course. Graham, you're just adorable. You with your, like, yes! I know what it stands for. Let me tell you what no, the, I, look, the channel uh, it I, is. Hi, I'm terrible. I'm a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm glad. It's great because part of me is like, yeah, I'm glad that I remembered that. I'm like, I just finished those issues like two hours ago, Jeff. Don't feel that impressed with yourself. Be more impressed with Graham. Uh, yeah, seventies uh, pastiches in Superman. Like, like I there's, want... there's a bunch though. It's it's it's. I really love. I do love like the seventies and early eighties era, like the pre-crisis yeah. Yeah. era of of Superman. Especially because you do have the great like uh, Kurt Swan art, but you also have like Gil Kane for a mm-hmm. while. Mm-hmm. Gil Kane does like a, a lot of Superman around that time. Well, you know, Jose Garcia Lopez. Uh, Lopez. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is Kurt Swan inked by Mur- Murphy Anderson, and there's shit in there that is fucking fabulous. Like, oh, they're so good. Yeah, they're so good. There's Swanderson, also, that they're called. Yeah, Swanderson. There's some parts where the, it's a little like I was literally like, holy shit, look at this! this is so amazing. And then there's just there's. There's a page where Superman is drawn to look so dumb. Like I was like, okay, maybe they're not all winners. <laughs> but there's a there's a there's a thing with um, you know, who will play the devil's harp that is actually a pretty great issue of Superman, uh, with amazing illustrations by uh Swanderson about this P- 
piano player Felix Nixley, who's like at the beginning of the uh, issue, gets upstaged by Superman. And he's like, uh, of course, because I'm a loser. And then you find out that he was like a janitor who found this like in a in a museum who uncovered the devil's harp. And when he played it and wished for something, he got what he wished for, but it was taken from someone else. So his grand concert piano Wait, powers. That's yeah. That's one room in 84. You know, you're right. It kind well, yeah, it kind of is. It kind of is, but it totally isn't, <laughs> but you're right. I'm like, when, when you describe that, I'm like, right. It does seem familiar. Right. He gets, so he, but they go, they go, they go a more interesting direction in it where he suddenly starts dressing up like a satyr and, uh, you know, like complete with like, with like a goofy horn sticking out of his head. And he's like playing the harp and he's like, I want super speed. And he basically takes, starts stealing Superman's powers. He starts wishing for Superman's powers and then challenges Superman to a fight. And Superman's like, I, I must show I must show up and fight him. And then, you know, he's like, I can still do it. I've still got super strength and super speed. And, of course, Bozo just plays his harp and steals those powers, too. So, at that point, it's sort of a semi... It's depowered Superman fighting this guy, but showing that he can win and fight. And I don't I don't remember if that's the issue where he gets brain damage and then when he gets his superpowers back, he's got his super concussion. No, that's later. Anyway... But what's great is it's a great character study of the guy who has shitty self-esteem and blames it on the successful popular people. Like it's it kind of worked. It kind of worked in a real um I don't know. It was interesting. Like Denny Denny O'Neill's kind of like he was so uncomfortable with Superman and he really can't wrap his brain around around the idea of an inherently good character, which is funny because it makes him a natural extension for, to me, the tonality of Weisinger's Silver Age Superman stuff, you know, um, where technically everyone's terrible, but you don't, but no one really calls themselves out as such. You know what I mean? And sure. And so it's weird how much his Superman is a strangely like, oh, I'm trying to do modern Superman. But at the same time, I'm also like, he's horrible. They're horrible. Like they've got the classic Superman crying cover where where basically everyone's like, you know, he's like, I've done everything for you people and and you hate me and fuck all of you, you know, kind of thing where it's like, I make one mistake and you people are just riding my ass. And it's not a dream. It's not a hallucination. It's not an imaginary story. It's very much like, yeah, Superman fucks up because he's losing his powers and everyone's like, dude, you suck, you know? And he's kind of like, you know what? Fuck these people. I'm not, what am I doing like, this is all I've ever done is help these people. And I fuck up once and like, screw them. And then, of course, an emergency <laughs> happens. And he's like, ah, yeah, I'm just, fuck it. They can just go to hell. And then he's like, and the weird part is his turning around and deciding to do something is very much a, 
this is my whole identity. I can't just give it up because I'm pissy or something. And I was like, wow, even his decision to act in the greater good and overcome his petty selfishness is basically motivated by petty selfishness. Like it's a really, I kind of wish Denny O'Neill had done more stories in it because he really could have taken that Superman is a dick meme to like brand to new, new, levels. new heights. So impressively new heights. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. I really am fascinated by how much shitty Superman and shitty Lois, you know, like the characters being terrible, like this, like I, t- I was going to say the Seinfeld of Superman. I'm like, wait a minute. Hold on. Like, you know, Jerry Seinfeld's whole Superman fixation never made any sense unless he was fixated on Weisinger era Silver Age Superman, which, of course, which based he probably on his age, was. He probably was. Yeah. And that stuff is all passive aggressive com- comedic hilarity. Hmm. You've, by George, I think you've got it. <laughs> by George. I like, I like where you're going with that. By George Costanza, you mean. I get it. I get oh, it. Oh, Lord. Anyway. I was, but I'll take it. Yes, exactly. Uh, Graham, I feel like I've steered us uh, right into the rocks, the rocky shoals of, of insouciance. Maybe you missed the part at the start where I steered us into, I've been reading crossovers from 10 to 15 years ago. Well, yeah, we're not really reading much <laughs> that's standard, but I think that, but I think that's fine. I actually, think actually that's... I have a question about something that came out sure. actually this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked about reading stuff in DC Universe Infinite. Oh. Did you read the the Cancelled Comics Cavalcade book? Yes. Let Them Live? Yes, Let Them Live. In fact, just read it today because it came out in the new releases. And I was like, oh, this looks kind of interesting. And and as I tweeted about, I'm like, holy shit, this is this the long-promised DC Universe original digital content. Because it is apparently on DC Universe for, I think, 30 days or something before it even goes to Comixology or whatever. It is a Jim Zub, Trad Moore, Suicide Squad one-shot, and by Suicide Squad, really just Deadshot and Harley Quinn, with a several-page ambush bug framing sequence. I've really liked it a lot. I mean, it's Trad Moore, so, but honestly... I mean, it's it's clearly, like fill-in issues, inventory mm-hmm. materials that they're they're just publishing. Yeah. But it was kind of great. It was kind of great. It, For I, like an unexpected, great. you know, unannounced book. Yeah, yeah. No, I It agree. was kind of great. No, I, I definitely agree with you. I, I enjoyed it a lot. And it was interesting how much it was like, at first I was like, oh, this is just, yeah, I love Trad Moore. And Trad Moore does great work with these characters and his storytelling so fun. But, like, honestly, Jim Zub comes up with, like, a great little twist for the end of the story to make it, you know, to give it a little bit of of weight. And, uh, yeah, no, it was good. And then the ambush stuff was funny. Ambush bug stuff was, I thought, pretty amusing. So, yeah, I'm into it. I It really was enjoyable. Um, I, 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 I know, obviously, you've been keeping up with DC Universe Infinite, but I'm glad that they have been adding old material again as well. Yes. I'm really happy to see them adding new Milestone Books Weekly. Uh, yeah. Milestone Books issue yes. Weekly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a little slow. Like, it's a little paltry, sure, I think. But, you know. but, you know, I'm also appreciative of it. I am, too. I am, too. And I, and I appreciate that there's 
Um, there's a certain amount of it. I just, part of me really wishes that, I don't know. You know, it's, yeah, we'll see where it goes. I have to say, I even posted on a thread and requested something because I wanted to start reading. I was like, you know what? I'm going to take advantage of DC Universe's infinite infiniteness and I'm going to reread the Jim Aparo, Michael Fleischer, Spectre stories on here. And they didn't have, the, they didn't have a full run. And I was like, that's weird. Why are they missing two of the stories in the middle? Like... And then I did the research and I'm like, oh shit, they don't, they didn't digitize and collect The Wrath of the Spectre, which has like the other four stories that were previously uncollected. So, so I actually put in a request for that on the request. Like they've got a, the community feed has a, like, here's where you can request archive issues. And there's someone very nice who's like, yeah, I'll get to it. Yep, I'll get to it. And like there's nine million people requesting stuff, most of which is pretty good. A shocking amount of Spectre stuff. Like I, I'm shocked by how many people are like, "Yeah, can you fill in this issue with the Spectre?" I'm like, "Wow, the Ghost in the Green Diaper is like, which let's face it, sounds like the best Hardy Boys novel ever. Uh, is just is shockingly maybe is way more successful or popular on than I thought. You know." Because they were doing a lot I, part of, of Spectre of, part reprints, of, you know? Well, that's just it. Part of it might be that they were doing a lot of Spectre reprints and then they stopped. Right. And so people are like, And it, hey. it might it literally might have been that yeah. people who did not know the Spectre at all were like, oh, shit, I'm actually kind of into this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then being like, oh, but wait, like, where, where's, where's, where's all of it? Right. Exactly. Where is all of it? And, which is amazing because there's kind of like, I don't know, like Spectre is one of those guys where it's like, there's a lot of Spectre material. Huh. Who, who would have thought? Whereas like part of me is like when I go and search on Eclipso, it's like, I'm like, how can we not have the original Eclipso material here? Like you've got the 18 issue Bart Sears series from the early 2000s or whatever, whenever it was. But like, but you don't have the original stuff? Like, I don't know. That's we also amazing. don't have the crossover series that introduced that... That, that series, like, right? Series yeah. There, which is nuts. Isn't that it's, crazy? Yeah, stuff that isn't digitized is really strange. Yeah, it really is odd. And I mean, honestly, it's... I don't know. It's weird. Because Marvel Unlimited... You know, I just, ho- I just hope that DCUI is around long enough. In part, because I don't know if you saw it, but Adam Nave suggested that we do a Justice League uh, read-through when we're finished with Drock. And I posted on our Twitter saying something like, yeah, we definitely should do a DC book next, but we'll have to figure out what it should be. And there were like, seriously, a dozen people who were like, Legion, it's got to be Legion, got to do Legion, Legion of Superheroes, Legion, Legion, Legion. And one or two people being like, what if you did all of Steve Englehart's? And everyone's like, no, Legion, Legion, LSH. So, um, Graham, it's something that we've got to... I, I, I hope that DCUI is around in two years so that we can... Yeah, exactly, when we finish Because we're not finishing Drug for a while. I did actually see a lot of people suggest Legion, and that made me very happy. See? Well, there you go. So, part of me because really thinks... I love the Legion. Yeah, I know you do. I and, love it. And I, and I, I hugely enjoyed our, our read of... 
uh, Legion 89, 88? What was it that Andrew, you know, Bear had us read that was really good? Legion's Lost? No. The Legion, you know what I'm talking about. Help me out here, Greg. I honestly don't remember what it was. It wasn't the Great Darkness cycle, was it? No, no, no. No, it was, it was the five years later stuff. Five years like... later. Thank you. Thank you. I knew it was a year-related type thing. Yeah. The five years later stuff, which was uh, kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I would I would love to do Legion. Hmm. But, it, you know, we two have drunk together for <laughs> No, I know. I mean, that's another two to three years of of our time although it's amazing how fast this shit goes so you know i mean i say that as an old person i feel like time just is rapidly a little too rapidly flying by so speaking of which graham it's uh it's been just about two hours was there other stuff you wanted to talk about should we uh not really like i i felt like we should probably have mentioned the the uh, immortal hulk thing which we did mm-hmm. uh Otherwise, I mean, has there been comics news? That's the thing. I've I've not really been keeping up with comics news this weekend, and I kind of like it. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's great. I'm so happy for you. What we should do is I should then, because for years, uh, almost a decade, we've leaned heavily on your comics news reporting and researching to kind of oh don't worry that that will come back like just i'm just having a few weeks off i but, know i know but i yeah. i am as you know yeah not leaving comics journalism so yes yeah 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 absolutely so well yes but part of me is like man for a few weeks maybe i should just start looking shazadam like like we should we could talk about shazadam which yeah but shazadam is not real so actually i think didn't they get confirmation that it was real? Like somebody, unless unless someone's pranking Rich, somebody I, I 100% pages. thought that when Bendis tweeted out rumors are dumb, that was explicitly a Shazadam Oh, reference. it was a Shazadam reference, but as Rich Johnston points out, it's a lot like the Tom Brevoort Fantastic Four thing, where it's not a denial, you know what I mean? Like, it's just a... But so, uh, unless people lied to Rich... Somebody sent him the pages. People, yeah, pe- people have lied to Rich before. Yes, I know, but I'm saying if someone dummied up the pages of Infinite Frontier and sent it to him, like he he's got the he's got the pages. Like somebody late last night, one retailer who had actually read an advanced copy of Infinite Frontier number zero from DC Comics took pity on this. Although telling me he'd never sent anything for me to use before and never would again, he was perplexed by the side eyes and outright denials we were getting. So there, these are indeed pages from DC Infinite Frontier number zero out in March with red lines to hide from. And then it's a, it shows the, supposedly it shows the artwork, but my page has not been loading any of the images in this article. So I don't know if it's really gen, genuinely true. Wow. Um, and I, I was working under the assumption that it was not real. Right. Right. And he's like, so Shazadam may not stick. It may not go any further than infinite frontier number zero. It may not be referred to in the justice league comic, but infinite frontier number zero is, does refer to him as, I guess, Shazadam. So 
it might be actually a thing, Graham. Uh, see, I might, I'm actually looking at it right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it looks very... <laughs> looking at the graphics right now, it kind of looks like some characters are calling him Shazadam, not that that's his actual name. And in that it's probably written by Bendis, it's more than likely a nickname. Ah. But we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Right. Uh, it's, I, here's the thing. I kind of hope it is true because it made me laugh like a fucking drain when I read it the first time. <laughs> it's so, I mean, it's that, that is genuinely like Bob Haney dumb to me. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. I know what you mean. Well, yeah, I guess I know what you mean. Graham McMillan, I didn't even get a chance to talk about the Groundhog Day genre as reflected via the movie Palm Springs that I watched last night. Uh, via Hulu, which uh, was pretty good and also made me want to have many thoughts uh, to, to throw at you about the, the Groundhog Day genre, as it were. Um, but, uh, but maybe we can save that for another time because I'm not sure that it would have been any less stultifying than listening to me go on another <laughs> half-imagined rant about Brian Michael Bendis. So... You're welcome, everyone, and good night. I I haven't I saw that film whenever it came out, which was last summer. Really? Oh, excuse, excuse my hiccup. Um, I, I'm going to look it up. When the Palm Springs come out? Palm Springs, Hulu. Yeah. Uh, it came out uh, in July last year. Huh. I'll be dang. July 10th. Um, And I would be lying if I said I really remembered anything about it other than it stars Andy Samberg and uh, the the not-mother from How I Met Your Mother. Yes, the not-mother. She's quite good, I have to say. She's a very, very good actress. Uh, She was also in Death to 2020 as the... Yes. As the Karen. Yes, as the Karen of it all. Yeah. Uh, And yes, I enjoyed her in Death to... I enjoyed Death to 2020. I thought that was very fun. Yeah, that was really well done. It was kind of a all star version of of the yearly wipe. But, yeah, it uh, was. It, it, yeah. It, and although that's going point that she's like, I miss Barry shit peas. Exactly. Everyone's like, "Where's Barry shit peas?" Like even Philomena Kunk, like the the actress kind who's playing. Of, kind of, yeah, Diane yeah. Morgan made it up there, but but yeah. where was Barry Shippies? I know Barry Shippies is the best. On the other hand, you do get like, I mean, let's face it, Hugh Grant is a banger. That man, that man is. Great. Hugh Grant, yes. Who who expected Hugh Grant to redeem himself? Oh my! In his God. late career with Paddington Two. And the death of twenty twenty. Yeah. Fucking fabulous. Fucking fabulous. He was also great in a very British affair, of course. But uh, Which I haven't seen, but I was just thinking about watching the other day. Holy shit. You should watch it. You should. Quite good. Quite quite good. Yeah. I I haven't seen that whole like oh suspenseful kissy poo with Nicole Kidman. Um I don't uh, know. Yeah, that's no, the UK I, title. I don't know. What I, I did not even HBO. know that show existed until I saw people get really upset that it got nominated for a Golden Globe this week. Oh, really? That yeah, I, so I did, literally didn't know that show existed. I, but it's on HBO. It's on HBO. It's like yeah, an HBO but I, 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 did, 
I didn't pay attention to it. <laughs> I mean, Graham, it's like a little interstitial. Did you just, did your eyes just glaze over it? Did you not uh, be like... This is not a joke. Uh-huh. A, it's such a horrible graphic. But B, I did not recognize that as you, Grant. I, I will I will give you that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Okay. And so I was like... Mm-hmm. But yeah, I have I have I have very little desire. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. As much as I think that there's a uh Hugh Grantessance, I don't think that I particularly want to watch that. Paddington two on repeat, that's all you need. Yeah, I know. I'm aware. I am I I am aware. That being said, I still have not watched it, so yeah. You've never seen uh, Jeff. Even more than Doctor Strange Love, I like. Please watch Paddington Two. No, I very much want to. My problem is, is I keep feeling like I should watch Paddington One, and I don't know. I just everyone Paddington All One's okay, you need but I to just know uh, is that he's a well-meaning bear that brings out the best in everyone. The end. That's all you need to know. Everything else is in Paddington Two. Hugh Grant is a well-meaning bear. Who... No, Paddington. No, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> too late for you to do that <laughs> i know i know i know it's probably why i'm like this this were this this would never work if graham wasn't already tired but okay so let's 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 close this joint down well graham. wait i have a question is it paddington 2 related because i won't it is not oh, it okay. is scheduling related because i want to know before i tell the people are we doing a podcast next week I sort of assumed we were, and I sort of assumed it was a drock, but... Yeah, I I don't know why you assumed it was a drock, because the last one we did was a drock. Yes, yeah. So we wouldn't be doing... A, it's not, wait what, drock, wait what, drock all the time. There should no. be another wait what in between. Well... But yeah. also, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to think of a nice way of saying this, I'm not fucking editing a drock on Valentine's Day. Oh. Oh! Oh! Right. Yeah, so that I'm is a nice way of saying if it. We should actually do skip a next skip week. next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds great. Let's do that. that and then good. maybe do a drock the week after on the twentieth. Yes, yes. Graham, so smart. Yeah, I'm okay. thinking. Of, I'm thinking of our uh, our respective love lives, and also the fact that does anyone really like either you or I want to be editing a podcast for like two or three hours on Valentine's Day? I mean, I have bad news for you, Graham. Like, Edie, Edie and I have been together. It's going to be we <laughs> twenty years that we met uh, coming up coming up in December. But like, we've been married for fifteen. Like, uh, part of it is is that Edie's birthday is a few days before, and so Valentine's Day has been an afterthought for both of us for pretty much that reason. Like, it's all about her birthday for me. And, um, you know, I think probably for her as well. So all of which is us being like, part of me is like, yeah, I don't mind it. But frankly, I would like to, the the weekend off would be nice because we can do more. Um, in, in, fact, in fact, we were supposed to have uh, Edie's cousin come down and visit us. And he was like, hey, how about the 14th? We're like. Sure, let's, yes, Valentine's Day, come down and we'll have brunch. And then, of course, he actually texted us being like, ah, actually, my hip's bugging me. Can you drive up to the East Bay? I'm like, sure. No. Even more, oh, really? Even more Valentine-y, you know? Like, so we were kind of 
all of which is to say, I appreciate that you are chances are good in a relationship that is somewhat more new and in the springtime of its existence than than me and the old war horse. But um yeah. So yeah, skip week is fine. I'm sorry. Old or an old war horse on the other I was going to say, take a moment. I don't think you edit that out. Well, I'm, I'm going to go in and tell her, and if she laughs, I'll leave it in, and if she doesn't, I'll take it out. But, uh, but oh. I mean, that was funny. I don't, I mean, you know. All right. Anyway. Oh, having man. Okay. sealed my so, own fate. Yes. Why not? We're taking that week off. It's the last <laughs> round. I, a part of me hopes you leave this in. Part of me hopes you take it out. <laughs> Next uh, week, Rob back in two weeks with it sounds like we're doing a drug in two weeks yes uh which means we are going to be doing uh case files 22 yes and as as uh uh my <sighs> brain stopped it just stopped i had this moment of i'm like ah i have to fight my way through the fog i'm gonna leave this miguel miguel corti jesus i sorry miguel i could not my you all kinds of amazing fun facts about you were popping up in my brain except your name miguel corti pointed out it's about time for the next judge dread batman crossover chronologically yeah or no i I think we're i we may actually be past that weirdly enough hmm. uh and we can discuss this on Drog. I'm not sure how much we want to do all of the Batman Judge Dredd crossovers. Uh, in part because after the second one, I don't think there's easy digital access to any of them. Aren't they all uh, in one trade? Like all from how DC, many are there? Not, not there's from three there's of four. them, aren't there? Is there's there four. four. Um, there's four, and the first two are in a 2080 trade, mm-hmm. and the the first. No, the first. Hang on, I'm trying to remember. The first two are in the the current 2080 trade, mm-hmm. and the, and the all four are in a DC trade. Right, right, okay. Well, I thought I, I think um, I had. I'm the trying DC to think trade. of a nice way of saying the second one is not worth talking about. Oh, didn't we already talk? Not talk about the second one because that. Oh, I think because I read ahead and we talked about yeah. it because it is it's super disposable junk. But the yes. third one I kind of liked with the. Riddler and the faux predator and stuff like Zelda you did. Everyone? Yeah, I don't. I mean, okay. Uh, <laughs> well, fine, I guess. I'll t- yeah, well, okay. I'll look up the publication dates of those and, and work out where, where the problem. Uh, I thought you were going to say it's time for the next restricted files, which weirdly enough, restricted files four, like because we've been working on is it up to date with the last story in the book, right? right. Mm-hmm. And restricted files four jumps from like nineteen ninety four to like two thousand six. What? Oh, yeah. did they stop doing original material for annuals or something? Yeah, well, they stopped doing annuals. Oh, I see. Hmm. Wow. Uh, so I don't quite know how we're going to handle that one, to be perfectly honest with you. Right. Yeah, I don't either. Like, read half of it and then put it down? Like, hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how we're going to handle that. Hmm. Okay. Uh, uh, listeners, this was the part where the closing was supposed to go. 
No, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the closing right now because we just get completely distracted by ourselves. Uh, we have a Twitter account at Wait What Podcasts. Jeff has a Twitter account at Lazy Bastard at L A Z Y B A S T I D. I have a Twitter account at Graham M at G R A E M E M. We have uh, an Instagram account, Instagram.com forward slash Wait What Pod. We have a Tumblr account, Wait What Pod. Tumblr.com, both of which might actually be at really updated soon if i decide that i want to sit in front of a computer again anytime soon which i really may do mm. um mm. otherwise we have a patreon account which means jeff is going to talk to you right now yes but kind of quickly which is um i i'm so grateful for you guys you really we we got a couple of uh, really lovely messages uh on uh our comments threads and also i think on twitter where people are just like hey thank Thank you. It's been a really tough year. You were great to kind of help get through it. And that was um, ditto, basically. I feel like the, the, the amazing awfulness of 2020 was um, th- that our, our podcasts were kind of a highlight. And I felt that I know that I said that at the end of 2020, but I wasn't expecting the first part of 2021 to be so goddamn brutal as well. So, (laughs) yeah. So, so thank you. Thank you for this. Like, um, you know, your, your ears keep us motivated, inspired, digging around for new stuff to read and talk about that. At least in my case, I then just go on to complain about Brian Bendis for like an hour and a half. So I need therapy again, clearly, but there's also a fine cadre of listeners who throw us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh via Patreon, and we are super grateful to them. For one thing, it means that I might actually be able to afford therapy if I go back to it. And um, we, uh, I want to send a special thanks to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, to whom we're especially grateful for continuing support of the podcast, as well as this old neck of the celestial realm. Uh, thank you, Audrey. We are incredibly grateful. This is the point where I am going to thank all of you for listening. And uh, I was going to say something else there that literally also went away from my head. Jeff, what is with us tonight? I don't know, man. Most of us are just losing it. That's so strange. We're going to be back in two weeks, by which point, hopefully our brains are going to be working. Who can even tell? Uh, Until then, bye!